0: Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to FIFA America. We've got the pod gang together today to talk about what we're looking forward to in 2022 regarding the U.S. men's national team. I'm your host, Jake, in London, joined, as always, by Tom in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Ryan in Kaiserslautern, Germany. This was our planned podcast for this week, but when your national team strikers are sold for a combined $30 million to Europe, those pieces do kind of dominate the conversation. So we're going to get into this today. What to expect from the U.S. Men's National Team in 2022. Before we get started, we need to see how everyone is doing. Tom, you had a rough weekend. How's everything at home?
1: Um, Things are still about in, in limbo at home here. Um, For people who don't know, my mother was hospitalized last week. Um, We're thinking she might get released today, which will be really good. It's been a nightmare with COVID sort of complicating everything. So... Hopefully we get her back today and she's continuing to recover every day. So I'm, um, things are looking better.
0: Sending all the best vibes, all the best vibes, Tom. Ryan, how about you?
2: Um, yeah, man, just, uh, you know, no hair and makeup for me today. Just got off the treadmill, <laughs> jumping on here. So, you know, just it's been an exciting couple of or last week for US17 News. So happy to jump on, do another one and continue to try to put out some great content for you guys.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's jump into it then. We're going to talk about the World Cup qualifying first. That's kind of closest in terms of what we're looking forward to right now. We have a camp coming up three games in late January, early February, and then we're going to finish out the campaign in March. So there's only six games left. We'll talk about some of the players later on that we expect to make a true name for themselves later this year. And you can bet that we're going to talk about the World Cup as well that's happening in Qatar at the end of this year. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the World Cup qualifying campaign, guys. Currently, the U.S. sits in second place, one point behind Canada and one point ahead of Mexico and Panama. The next window does seem a bit easier as we have two home games against Honduras and El Salvador. But that last three games in the window, away at Mexico and away to Costa Rica, is just kind of staring us in the face once this next window is over. Ryan, what are you expecting from our World Cup qualifying campaign now that we only have six games left?
2: So yeah, with the six games left, obviously three home, three away, you know let's talk about the home matches that we have first with El Salvador, Honduras, and Panama. Um, you know, I think that the Panama and Honduras games are gonna be a little bit tougher than maybe some people expect. Uh, you know, obviously, Panama already proved their worth when we went down there. Uh, obviously, a little bit of a different atmosphere when they come up here. But, you know, I think Panama is going to have a lot to fight for when they come up here. You know, with them being in fourth place right now, that they'll be hungry when they come in. So, you know, those are going to be really exciting games. If we can see anything like the last uh, World Cup qualifying game that was at home in Orlando against Panama, I was lucky enough to be at that game. And the, the atmosphere in Orlando was absolutely electric. Uh, so hopefully, you know, if they could put that game back down there again, uh, I'm optimistic about that one. Uh, one. One of the home games that I'm still kind of scratching my head a little bit about is the upcoming one against El Salvador. I'd be interested to hear your guys' opinion on USMNT's selection of putting that game in Columbus. Um, in my opinion, I think it's a little bit of a mistake. Uh, we should be able to beat El Salvador anywhere. We don't need to make it in some, you know, cold Ohio, middle of January type of game, I, I, you know, I could see it as kind of a game. But I I still just think it's an odd pick, I personally wouldn't have done it, I would rather have it be in an area where ideally, the weather's a little bit more optimal. And, you know, we, we give ourselves a better chance at three points. So those are the three home games. Uh, it's the away games, obviously, that people you know are really going to focus on. Those are the big ones uh, against Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica. Obviously, the Canada game is going to be tough. Uh, you know, whether their squad's really good, so that that's going to be, I think, one of the more exciting ones. And then you know, we may have beaten Mexico the last three times we've played them, but Mexico and the Azteca is a totally different beast. I I think we should you know respect that squad in that stadium. And, you know, not necessarily temper our expectations for it, but, you know, as fans, I, in, what I'm going to do is be humble before that game. You know, I, I'm not going to be making any bold predictions because, uh, you know, I, I don't You need... say that now. No, 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 no <laughs> trust me. Like, I, I, I am. After the game, we'll see what happens. But still, you know, I'm not going to, like, rub it in any Mexican fan's face. But I just don't want to make any bold predictions before. I don't need my, my mentions blowing up any more than they have this week. <laughs> Uh, And then, you know, for the game down in Costa Rica, I think that's where this USMNT team makes history for the first time. I think we will win down in Costa Rica. There's, a, I guess, a slight bold prediction for you. But at that point in time in qualifying, I think Costa Rica will have nothing left to fight for. Uh, It'll be kind of a beat up team, older squad, nothing really left to prove. So I think that'll be, you know, we don't want to need three points in that last window, but I'm confident that we can. So that's kind of my expectation of the, the next six games. Um, so if we could go back real fast, just to go to the top, what do you, what do you guys think of the selection of playing the El Salvador game in Columbus?
0: I have a lot to say on the subject, so I'm going to let Tom go on this okay. one first. Yeah,
2: I,
1: I'm going to go ahead and give the American outlaw perspective, which has been resoundingly negative considering this is a very big country. We have played what one match in Texas, one match in Nashville, two matches in Ohio at this point. And we're going to go back to Ohio and then play in Minnesota. We have completely ignored the coasts. We've ignored the Pacific Northwest. We've ignored the Northeast. We've ignored the Southwest. We've ignored most of the Southeast. It's been mainly Midwestern games, which, yes, give us a competitive advantage, but are not representing the country well. You're not giving people a chance to come see these games. You're focusing on winning without taking into account that this is a national team and that everyone in the nation should have an opportunity to see them play. The U.S. is such a big country that having a home stadium just doesn't work for us. And it's a little disappointing to see us not spread the love around and not give most of our citizens the chance to actually watch the team play during this qualifying cycle.
0: I would feel a little bit differently if we hadn't played in the Midwest, like you said, Tom, so many times already in this qualifying campaign. And I understand going to a specific place when we're playing against Mexico, Costa Rica, maybe Panama even, but to play against a team like El Salvador or Honduras where, going back to what Ryan said, we should beat them wherever we play. If it's within the borders of the United States, we should beat them. I think the trouble that we're going to run into, and every day that we get closer to this game, it feels like we made the wrong decision more and more. Playing in negative temperatures or temperatures close to negative where players can't feel their toes where the environment starts to mess with your fitness. All of that starts to take away from the skill and technique advantage that the U S has over the other team. And I worry that we're leveling the playing field for no good reason.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at at this point, why don't, like, if we're trying to use it as a game to prep for Canada, like let's just play in Anchorage, like you know, (laughs) We might as well at this point. I mean, that would be so unique that I'd almost accept that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I would be down for that. The Alaskan (laughs) soccer fans who've never had a game would be so excited for that game.
2: Talk (laughs) about getting all the citizens involved. That's that's really doing it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So
0: we've we've talked about that at length. I wanna ask you guys about the points total. Right now we sit at 15 points the math nerds that are Tom and all of his friends have told us that I think 21 points is enough to qualify based on previous qualifying cycles. Tom is shaking his head no, he's gonna tell me why I'm wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's 21, 22, or 23, can we get to that point before we play Mexico?
2: Interesting. Tom, you take it, man, this this is all you. Okay, so the math has changed changed because
1: of Panama. (laughs) Panama's performance has made it so 21 is almost guaranteed fourth place at this point. Ooh. 21, 22, and 23 are very likely fourth place at this point. You don't start getting into certainty to qualify until you hit 25 points, with 24 being the toss-up point. Until you hit that 25 points, Mark, you're not safe right now. Panama is too close to us. That group of four at the top is too closely packed together that one mistake is enough for a good run of form to send you to the fourth place game. So, unless Panama falls flat on their face, or Mexico or Canada falls flat on their face and becomes the clear fourth place team, the 21 points we thought we would need at the beginning is an outdated prediction because of the insane tight-knit group we have at the top. So we're not looking at needing six points to qualify anymore. We're looking at needing 10 out of our final six, which is win at home, draw one away.
2: Do we do that? I feel optimistic saying we we get twelve. You know the the home games, as I said, you know, will be a little bit tougher than I think we expect. and but uh, it's again, I think it I don't want it to, but I think it may boil down to that Costa Rica match and and I feel confident that, like I said, you know, they're they're not going to have a lot to fight for. So it could be a day that, clinches it for us and, you know, goes down in the history books books as our first win down in uh, either San Juan or wherever it is that they'll, they'll choose to put that game in Costa Rica.
1: I think this Uh, window is going to be really interesting. This next window, because not only do we have our easiest window and are likely to pick up six, if not more points, Panama has their hardest window this cycle. They are going to go, they're going to go to Costa Rica, host Jamaica, host Jamaica and then go to Mexico although Azteca won't have fans for that match. So they're going to play three extremely tough games, two in Central American environments and New Mexico environments that are not friendly at all towards them and one against the Jamaica team that is only getting better each match. So if they go into this next window and get, you know, three or less points, we're going to start looking in a to be in a lot better shape to qualify given how nice this window sets up for us.
0: It's crazy the knife's edge that we're on being in second place right now in the table. Um, And Ryan, I don't want to kind of shake the foundation of your argument, but Trinidad and Tobago had absolutely nothing to play for when they beat us.
2: (laughs) You're right. Yeah, no, that is a really good point.
0: So guys, do we automatically qualify in the top three spots in CONCACAF?
2: I feel comfortable saying yes to that. Yes. I mean, I'm going to be nervous the whole way for sure. I mean, every single game <laughs> until it happens. It, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, as on, on our last chat talking about transfer rumors, like we found out what, you know, hundred percent really means. So, uh, you know, you could apply kind of the same to qualifying that until it's a mathematical guarantee, it, you're, you're always going to be a little bit nervous, but I think we should feel confident in the squad. They keep growing and getting better, be- better and better each window and hopefully we continue to see that progression. It's it's this this next upcoming window in January is going to be very very telling to how we feel for the for the rest of qualifying.
1: Yeah. Well, and thankfully there are a bunch of people who are doing a great job of creating models and updating them as each match is played, telling us what the ideal performances we need from each individual match day are. So there is we will know more after every single game. We'll get a few more data points, and it'll sort of tell us where we're at. There actually, we talk about the nervous scenarios. There is a scenario out there where we auto-qualify, and Mexico falls to sixth after this window.
0: Let's do Dang. that. Let's do that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's one scenario. that one? <laughs> where yeah. Mexico's in sixth, we've got three games to play, and we're already qualified. So that's the one I'm really cheering for. <laughs> it involves a lot of insanity happening, but...
2: It could happen. Conquer, yeah, it's Concacaf qualifying.
0: <laughs> it's
1: Concacaf. <conquer>
0: <laughs> All right. So what I'm hearing then is, what can U.S. men's national team fans expect in 2022? They can expect the U.S. to qualify for the World Cup. Yes.
1: Yes. And even if we even if we don't qualify automatically, remember we do. We cannot fall farther than fourth unless we just absolutely tank the rest of the way. So. The odds are that even if we fail to auto qualify, we're going to end up in that fourth place spot. And New Zealand is not necessarily a strong opponent. So even if we don't sort of perform up to our expectations in qualifying, I expect us to be at the World Cup via throttling New Zealand in the summer.
0: Yeah. And New Zealand's not even qualified yet from their region. It could be Fiji, could be Solomon Islands. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Oceania does have their qualifying coming up. They're going to do a centralized tournament in Qatar in March. So we'll see who the opponent is for the fourth place CONCACAF team. All right. So let's talk about some of the players now for this national team and look forward to the end of 2022. So we would have finished World Cup qualifying, another Nations League in the books, and hopefully a World Cup plus all of their club seasons. Guys. Give me who you think will be the player of the year come December 31st, 2022 for the U S men's national team. Tom, let's start with you.
1: I think I have the surprise pick of everyone. I'm going with Eunice Musa as my men's national team player of the year for 2022. He, this last year was his breakout year. No one, none of us knew who he was last January. Then all of a sudden he could become, like, shoots onto our radar in March, commits to the team and is a locked on starter by the end of the year. Give him another year getting club minutes playing well with the U S men's national team and qualifying. I think he's going to be, this is his breakout year. He's going to go and shock all of us and be, have just a phenomenal year for the U S men's national team. I think he gets two goals, three assists and is the player of both the qualifying and our best player at the world cup.
0: It is insane how much we miss any one of the three midfielders in the MMA midfield when one of them is out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, kind of keeping with that, that trend, I, I personally would say that it's it's going to be, uh, you know, Tyler Adams, I, I think he's clearly proven up to this point that there, we don't have anybody close that's a like for like. So he, I mean, and in my opinion, that's kind of the definition of a most valuable player is someone that you just you literally cannot replace. You know, even if Christian goes down or, you know, Weston would be a close second. I think he's very hard to replace as well, but a De La Torre could do, you know, a reasonable job filling in for him. Uh, so in, in my opinion, it's no questions asked that it's got to be Tyler Adams is our most valuable player. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, a lot of players make massive improvements. Uh, I think Zach Steffen, if he clears up kind of staking that number one claim as our, as our keeper gets a little bit more confident in the box. We could see him as it. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even put it to- totally out of the realm of possibilities to see John Brooks make a massive comeback. I, he's still an extremely talented player. Uh, just, you know, they kind of needs to have a mea culpa with Burhalter, and hopefully he's, you know, right back in the squad. So, you know, there's a variety of different people that you could pick from that are definitely possibilities, but right now it's, I know it's kind of the vanilla choice. It's it's definitely not as exciting as Tom's, but, you know, as a betting man, I'm, I'm going all in on Tyler Adams. Uh, I was looking at some information before the pod that, you know, his contract is still in place for like 2025 or something like that at Leipzig. So I don't see him necessarily transferring anytime soon with all those Man United rumors and stuff. Uh, I think he's pretty locked on and that could be a good thing for him, you know, really, become a staple of that Leipzig side and continue to do big things in the Bundesliga and then have that reflect as we go into the world cup. And you know, we're, we're touching on our captains a little bit later. And I think the, we might hear that Tyler Adams name again.
0: We might, no spoilers, but that name might come out of my mouth. That's what we call
2: foreshadowing. (laughs) Yes.
0: Nice. Well played. I'm, I am going to go with the safe choice. I think Christian Pulisic is going to take home player of the year for one of many reasons, but I think my main pursuit of player of the year is about big games. And when we talk about big game players, Christian Pulisic is at the pinnacle of that. I mean, it's fresh on our minds what he did to Liverpool. But if you go back through his history, goals against Liverpool, goals against Man City, goals against Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinal, I mean, this kid just rises to every occasion when it's a big game. When the team needs him, he puts him on his back. The Mexico goal in the U.S. to put us ahead, coming on as a substitute after a a crazy injury that kept him out of the team for months and months more than we expected it to. I really feel like when it comes to the World Cup, there's no bigger stage than that tournament. And if we're talking big games, that Christian Pulisic can rise to, those are the games where we need him to come up big. Goals and assists and productivity. And if we get to the end of the year, we've had a good World Cup. It will probably be because of all three of the players that we've mentioned. But Pulisic's name will be on the score sheet. I think that's why I have him as player of the year.
2: If I I could give a a quick honorable mention, I'd say a a close 1B for me. People have totally forgotten about kind of how big of a talent Gio Reyna is, you know, he's only played one game during qualifying. So that's, you know, he's kind of fallen off the radar for a lot of fans. And, you know, when you look at where he is right now at 18 years old and kind of, if you want to compare him to where Christian was at 18 uh, you know, I personally, I would say Gio's just a little bit ahead. I, I, I just love his game so much. So it, it wouldn't shock me at all to see just an absolute skyrocket of a year for Gio And then, you know, we could be talking about an even bigger transfer fee if Dortmund decide to sell than they even got for Christian. So if they do tip of the hat to Dortmund, that would be like $150 million off of two U.S. players in a couple of years, which would just be insane.
0: Yeah. I mean, talk about foreshadowing, Ryan, getting to our next (laughs) item, which is who will be the player that has the most expensive transfer this year? My pick and someone who I could have had as player of the year was going to be Weston McKinney. I think he has instilled himself in this Juventus team. He's become the most consistent and important player for this team. But if they need money or if they bring in more high-profile center midfielders like Juventus is prone to do and they need to get McKinney off the books, I really think that a team could swoop in for range, maybe 40 to $55 million is what I would call fair value for Weston McKinney. I don't really see Christian Pulisic making a move. I don't see Tyler Adams making a move. And even Gio Reyna, like I, I don't see him making a move in this year. So when I think about those big players that could go for that fee and are important players to their club where they wouldn't just let them go, maybe like a death situation, could happen where Barcelona just needs the money. They don't really care about desk talent. They just let him go. I don't think that's the same for Weston McKinney. So for me, I think the most expensive transfer this year would be Weston McKinney. But Ryan, who do you think is going to be that?
2: So, I mean, I try not to read too much into the press clippings. Um, and I guess I'm going to totally contradict myself with who I'm going to pick, but you know, everything I've seen out of Juve says that the manager really values Weston. So personally for me, I, I think Weston will stay at Juve, but the other player that's at a big club that, you know, everybody's kind of talking about could be on his way out. For me, it's going to be Serginho Dest, which would be weird because if you look at the top five most expensive Americans transfers, you could see Dest on there twice. Uh, Rumors at Catalonia that it looks like it it would make the most sense. And, And I feel terrible for Dest because he's been on record multiple times saying that Barcelona you know, is his childhood favorite club and it was his dream to go there. Unfortunately, he just got there a couple of years too late. You know, he just wasn't born at the right time, I guess. So, you know, kind of disappointing, but it's, it's so weird to me to see press clippings out of Catalonia saying that you know Des is kind of the scapegoat, he's not good enough, he's not Barcelona level, but Chelsea and Bayern want to buy him? Like right now, given the current situation, Chelsea and Bayern are much better teams than Barcelona. So I just don't read too much into them saying that he's not at the level. I think he is at the level. They just need someone to sell and it's not going to be Fati. It's not going to be Pedri or anybody like that. It's it's going to be Sergio, and he'll be the scapegoat. So it's it's unfortunate for him, but I could see him moving on for 20 to 30 million going to a Bayern or Chelsea. It's like a, yeah, a club I, that has that kind of money to spend.
0: I've even, even read rumors that Atletico Madrid is in for him, but he doesn't want to go there because he doesn't want to, feel like he's stabbing Barcelona in the back. Uh, it it is really an unfortunate situation where it seems like Dest is more than capable of committing to the team but not the other way around.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean the the team it seemed like they made the right move when they brought in uh Dani Alves and Danny Alves was talking about how he's there to, you know, coach up Dest and everything like that but you know now it's it it he's just the complete scapegoat for every problem. Yeah, exactly. site. Uh, thank you. 1990s. Uh, I trust me. I'm a nineties kid. That is not a diss. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, it's just crazy that it, everything's getting blamed on him. Uh, and that was like kind of my worry when people were talking about even Pulisic going there as well. Like right now, I hate to, it's kind of weird to say, but I would stay as far away from Barca as possible right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tom, how about you? I agree. I, I went back and forth on this. I feel like, Watching European soccer this year showed me the importance of a defensive midfielder. And I feel like Leipzig will eventually hit a price point where they're willing to part with Adams. And I can see that happening this summer. Wouldn't be surprised to see him go for, you know, between 40 and 50 million. So for me, if McKinney's not moving, and even if Des does move, I don't think he'll command that price point. For me, it's Tyler Adams making a move to the Premier League, which I feel like is inevitable at some point in the next few years and I could definitely see it happening this summer, although with him being under contract for a long time, that's going to have to raise his price a little bit.
0: Yeah, it was like last transferendo. It was Arsenal, this transferendo, it's United. Mm-hmm. He's he's not really even starting for Leipzig, so it's really interesting to see all these rumors about how much he could provide. Like Personally, for me, Tyler Adams is my favorite player of any team of any nation. So I feel like he could go and step in and be what McTominay is not or be what Fred is not to United, but to not be starting at Leipzig and then be expected to do that. I think that's asking a lot of him. So mm-hmm. when you talk about the summer window, I do think that's the right time. If he is going to move that calls would come for him.
1: Yeah. Well, and give him a couple more games to showcase what he's done with the US men's national team. Every time we see him play, he just commands the midfield. So well, he shuffles the ball along, keeps possession going. It's such a useful skill that translates so well to so many teams in Europe and especially in the premier league that eventually someone's going to decide that they need to take a chance on him. And we've seen like teams like Chelsea, they fall apart where they don't have Angolo Conti in the midfield, having a player with a similar skill set, although not in the same ballpark for talent level, of course, is so valuable to most of these teams that someone's going to come after Adam soon.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's move to the question that I'm most excited to hear about. And that is, who is the surprise player that nobody expects that will make the World Cup roster? Tom, who is your pick?
1: I struggle with this a little bit, and I'm going to stick on the Tyler Adams wagon. We don't have a second six right now. We've thought Acosta is our backup, but even that's not the most comforting thing in the world. For me, I'm looking at breakout players to possibly fill in that role over the next year, and Johnny Cardoso is a name that comes to mind. I think if he makes another step in his development, maybe earns a transfer to Europe in the next six months or so, you could see him being a name that we're not talking about that could end up on that plane to Qatar, backing up Tyler Adams in the World Cup.
0: From what you've seen, would you take Johnny over Tanner Tessman?
1: I don't. I don't think I've watched enough of Tessman to be able to sort of say for sure. Yes. But I don't think they play the same position. I feel like Tessman's been playing a lot of the eight for Venezia. He plays a little bit more forward. So it would be a much harder transition for him to get back into Adam's role and do what Cardoso does for the national team. So for me, I I just don't see them as being like for like players.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I think Tessman could end up being a six someday, but he's still super raw. And I love to see what Venezia is doing. They're kind of like they're really protecting him in his development. They're not putting 100% of the responsibility on him, putting him as a six right away. So it's, I, I really commend Venezia for the way they've handled his development. Uh, but I think, you know, eventually, obviously, the talents there just needs to be formed right and then can slide in. It would be, you know, a very aggressive progression for him to be ready by 2022, but not out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah. So, Ryan, who's your player? So for me, a player that I've always been super excited about, you know, I love watching, as you know, you can tell I'm a big Sergeant fan and I love watching the U-20 World Cups and stuff like that. So, and a player that just exploded and jumped off the map to me during the 2019 World Cup was Richie Ledesma. And he was really starting to come on with PSV, uh, had played a couple of games in the Eredivisie with them, with the senior team, and then was first get, getting his first Europa League start and tore his ACL, like it, was, it was just brutal. You, you knew right away when you saw it that, Ed, that it was definitely an ACL. You could tell I, it, by the examination they were doing on the sideline that, yep, they're checking for an ACL by doing that anterior posterior motion there. So yeah. unfortunate, but he's definitely come back and just so far been gangbusters. For starters, I think it speaks a lot to how PSV see him. He came back, proved that he was ready to play again, and they immediately assigned him to an extension. So like, to me, to me, that speaks a lot. Um, so in his return back, he had a short appearance with Young PSV uh, where he played really, really well. And then again, progression right away into the senior team. He's played a few minutes with the senior team so far, but he's just a player that we don't have another Richie Ledesma in our lineup right now. Um, if you wanna see Richie Ledesma in a nutshell, again, just go back to that U-20 World Cup game against France and go see that first goal. He turns a player, then beats a player on the dribble, drives 30 yards down the field, and then plays an inch perfect pass through DeSoto for the first goal. And it's it's just all of that where you see that really aggressive progression, smooth on the ball, a lot quicker than, you know, a lot of people give him credit for to where I just think he's a super exciting player and we don't have anybody else like him. Um, So, he could be the exp- ex- like person that i don't think a lot of people are tracking right now that'll be on the plane to cutter uh, i just think that you know it'll be really hard unless we move geo into the middle geo kind of plays a little bit the same i could but i think ledesma's passing is even a little bit better than than geo's is so yeah. super exciting player that was really starting to climb had a, had the downfall with the injury but so far, all signs point to, you know, he's come back healthy, really strong. Uh, PSV, again, signing the extension, getting him back in with the first team. Right now, all signs, to me, point that he's going to be in 2022, one of the players that really jumps on the board. It's
0: crazy how few spots still remain on this mm-hmm. World Cup roster, if you really think about yeah. it. And to Ledesma's credit, like you probably have that Paul Ariola Jordan Morris spot still open. And credit to the Johnny pick, like, we do need a six backup. So for me, I'm thinking about what are those spots where people can get into as well. And I'm going to go for the third goalkeeper. I think Gabriel Slanina sneaks in and picks up this spot. We don't necessarily have the need anymore for a veteran goalkeeper like we used to. I think Zach Steffen and Matt Turner have had enough game time and had enough experience to kind of act as that on the field whereas we maybe would have had Brad Guzan in the past or Tim Howard at 38 or 39 joining the team. I don't think we need that anymore because of where Zach Steffen and Matt Turner are in terms of the the team environment. I've loved what I've seen from Gabriel Slanina. He didn't have a great um, cup, the three games that they played, the U20 team, um, but I do think he was able to bounce back well, was with the team in the Bosnia camp, and he's kind of my dark horse for who makes that third spot in the goalkeeper slot. Um, also, before we want to, we move on, I do want to commend Tom for saying something that's very rare in today's modern age, which was, I don't know enough to make a comment. <laughs> so kudos to you, Tom. Right. <laughs> well, Thank you. well done.
1: <laughs> I have a question along the lines of this uh, conversation. Do you think we'll use any of our spots on a predatory cap tie? There are players out there we could, a Kick Pieri, a Flair and Baligan type player, even a Malik Tillman, who are eligible for the U.S. and are big prospects. We've done it before. Is there anyone that you would like us to see bring us like the 23rd players of Predatory Cap tie?
2: So personally, I would personally, I would say if we had a, a European coach, I think it would be possible. But the fact that Greg's at the helm, I, I personally, I don't think it'll happen. Um, You know, one of the other players, if we're talking about positions that could be that need a little bit of backup, we could be seeing Jogo, you know, be the backup left back or even if he's had enough progression in that time to be potentially a starter. But I wouldn't necessarily call that a predatory cap tie where I would see predatory cap ties is going to be if we've locked things up by that last window, Uh, you know, that that was where I could see it potentially happening. Um, But as far as going to the World Cup, we're not going to see Julian Green over Landon Donovan again. I I don't think so.
0: (laughs) It is a really good question and and thought-provoking as well. Two players that you mentioned in terms of Balogun and Malik Tillman, those are two very good pieces. I can't see us doing that unless they have absolutely blow-up years. I don't think you'll be able to convince Greg or the coaching staff or the Federation that it's worth bringing the U twenty three Premier League goal scoring champion, Golden Boot winner, over an American that like you wouldn't want Paligan over Zardes probably if he's still in the U twenty three Premier League. Um, some people might. I know that you wouldn't, Tom. Um, so yeah, unless even they're they've gone gangbusters,
2: as, and <laughs> yeah, even with as much shit as I give Tom, I, I would even be a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. I think they'd really need to be a standout player and they would need to, like, I think Greg would need to make the conscious decision that that player would have to make an impact on the team if they were called upon.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Greg's just just too comfortable with his boys. Like I don't see him going Mm -hmm. out of his comfort zone to do something like that.
1: Yeah. Now, I guess we do have Nations League this summer, too, and that's actually a cap-tying tournament as well, so we could see it there more than we would at the World Cup.
0: Yeah, definitely. You did say last episode, Tom, that you need 23 to to make it far in the World Mm -hmm. Cup. So maybe you could argue you need 22, but that's not an argument we'll cover today. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, so we talked about surprise players that will make the World Cup roster. Let's talk about solidified players that are going to be there who will captain the team in game one of the World Cup for the U.S. Men's National Team?
2: So I, I personally, like, like we were talking about already, it, for me, it's, it's no question that it's Tyler Adams at this point. Uh, he, not only on the field has he already shown that, you know, he'll get after players when necessary. He'll stand up for players and kind of get into the middle of things and mix it up when he needs to. Um, but also too, and not that this should play too much into it, but in front of the microphone too, he's super comfortable, always has the right answer. And I think he represents the team really, really well. Uh, I've already taken the easy route with picking Tyler Adams. So I think as a close second though, um, it could be someone like Zach Steffen. Uh, you know, if he really kind of makes that next step, if he potentially gets alone or anything like that, and he's getting regular minutes, controlling his box, I'm always a big fan of keepers being the captain of the squad. I mean, they can see the whole pitch. They can really help put players in the right position. Maybe they're not close enough to really get involved with enough stuff unless you want to be, you know, like Stefan has already proven he's willing to do is run all the way to half field to get in the middle of things. So I think Stefan could be a close number two. Um, And then potentially a third one. I'll say, you know, six months ago, I, I was fully on the train of it could be John Brooks. Uh, you know, just a senior statesman, defender, been to a World Cup before because we don't have any of those guys.
1: Scored a winning goal in a World Cup.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, it could have definitely been him. Um, and I think it would have been really cool also, you know, if it was him, just to speak to how diverse the U.S. men's national team is. I thought it would have been really cool to see, you know, like a German-American be the captain of the team because nothing irks me more and seeing people online be like, oh, is he American enough and stuff like that? It, it It's just such an outlandish and ridiculous thing They're to You're not say. saying that about Dest? Yeah, no one says I'm it about Dest. True, no one says it about Eunice. Like, I'm not seeing yeah. it at all there. The moment he jumped on, everyone was all about it. So I think yeah. it could have been a cool step. Uh, obviously, with the situation right now with Brooks, he's not in position to be there. But a lot can change in a year, as we've seen. Yeah, definitely. Tom, yeah. how about you?
1: I think for me, Tyler Adams is the obvious choice, just given how he's held, how he's ported himself over World Cup qualifying. He's sort of taken that leadership role, especially with Pulisic being out. He's played what the most minutes of anyone in qualifying, besides maybe Miles Robinson. So for me, just this qualifying campaign has solidified for me the need for my, for Tyler Adams to be our captain. Uh, uh, from there, though. I think Christian Pulisic is my close second. You know, our big game player, our star player, the one everyone's going to look to to score goals, the one everyone's going to look to to lead the line, sort of show us exactly what we need going forward. So for me, Christian Pulisic is the second choice behind Tyler Adams as sort of this new young core coming in who's sort of leading a new US men's national team.
0: Yeah. I wonder, though, if McKenney can make enough of a leap in terms of regaining trust and kind of having like a comeback story this year to be the captain and kind of show what trust and brotherhood means to the team. Um, But my safe pick is Tyler Adams. And Ryan, you mentioned how good he is in front of the camera with his spoken words. I would almost argue that that is going to be important to the federation going into this World Cup. They want to make a statement that this team is young, they're hungry, they're talented. And someone that's going to be at the forefront of that needs to be able to those values at the forefront of entertainment. Um, So whether that's Tyler Adams. It also seems like I've noticed in Christian Pulisic's post-game press conferences lately, he's gotten a lot less boxy, a lot less protected about his answers and the way he's giving interviews. So maybe we do see a more fiery, true-to-persona Pulisic come out, and I could see that being the captain. The one thing I worry about for Pulisic being a captain is similar to when Jürgen Klinsmann made Clint Dempsey the captain, it felt like he was giving it to the best player and not the player that was most important to the team's success on the pitch. Um, I I kind of want Pulisic to not have to worry about anything else but being productive in front of
2: goal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Messi's, Messi's never been the best captain of Argentina. Ronaldo's never been the best captain of Portugal. Sometimes the best player needs to just be the best player without having to, you know, be the leader in the locker room.
2: Okay. Yeah, if anything, it could just, like, put a little bit too much pressure on him, make him feel like he does, mm-hmm. needs to do too much. Uh, if anything, I'd say that that's kind of the, the slight fault in Christian's game at this point. Sometimes when he is playing with the USMNT, he, I don't want to say he plays hero ball, but it seems like he ha- feels the pressure and, and maybe doesn't put enough faith into the rest of the 11 around, or the other 10 around him. So yeah, I, I don't think he should have the armbands, uh, obviously quality player, great guy. And I think a lot of the players do look up to him, but just like you said, Jake, like just score goals. Like that, yeah. that's all, it's all you need to do is score goals, be dangerous. And then, you know, let someone like Tyler Adams that, you know, can afford to get in people's faces and, you know, get people riled up and then make like a bone crushing tackle on a counter. Like to break up a counter. That, that, like, that's the type of thing that I love to see out of a captain that, you know, he's really influencing the game in that type of way.
0: Definitely. All right. So, we've talked about qualifying, we've talked about the players. Let's actually, I'm not going to jinx it, but if we qualify for next year, for this year's World Cup in Qatar, where does the U.S. men's national team get to? Give me your predictions of how far we go in this tournament. Maybe Ryan will start with you.
2: Sure. Um, obviously, like you said, we we got to get to Qatar first before we we make any, any big, bold predictions. But I think what's going to play a significant role into how our World Cup does turn out is going to be the group that we're selected to. It would not shock me at all. I think we will have the youngest squad at the World Cup by far. Um, so, you know, it could be that could work for us as a benefit or it could be a negative. And as we've seen in World Cups in the past, for that first 270 minutes, one mistake can make a world of difference. Um, so will the kids feel the pressure and will the moment be too big? Or will they just be so young and excited and fired up about the moment that they don't even really realize kind of the pressure and all the eyes that are on them? So I think that'll be really interesting to see. So if we can get out of the group, I think that would be massive for the confidence of the boys. And then everything after that is just gravy Uh, because, you know, if they make it out of the group, I think that gives the boys enough confidence getting ready for 2026, but also, you know, not advancing further than that leaves that fire, that, that frustration of like, man, we got out of the group. All it took was, you know, one win here, one, one better pass there. Wando finishing against Belgium, you know, you never know. Uh, so it's <laughs> just it's to do things, that. <laughs> it's the little things like that. So I think it'll. It, I I could see us getting out of the group, but then potentially losing in the first round after that. Uh, but again, it's it's very hard to say at this point. I think the kids have all the talent in the world. It'll be really interesting to see how they respond to the big moment. Yeah. Do you agree, Tom?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think that. This is a World Cup for them to actually show the world what this new squad's all about. We are going to see a young group. I looked it up. Nigeria was the youngest squad at the last World Cup with an average age of 29.9 years.
0: Jeez. (laughs) We will blow that out of the way. We are
1: going to destroy that as the youngest (laughs) World Cup squad. We will have an average age of around 23 years. This is, I think, not one where we should have huge expectations for us to do anything. Although I have said before, I think that we have the talent to make the quarterfinals. But this is a coming out party for the U.S. This is our chance to show the world what this new breed of U.S. soccer is, what these new, this young generation can do. And it's all going to depend on our group, but I really do think that this is our chance to start building a talent pool, a you know trust with the fans, a new generation of like, U.S. soccer, how, change the way U.S. soccer is perceived in the world and back home. Yeah. And I really do think that one or two good games could send this team to the moon.
2: Yeah, yeah, like it'll, it'll be interesting to see how people back stateside respond when the casual fan, you know, shows up and realizes like, we've got guys at Chelsea, we've yeah. got guys at Barca or Bayern, like, yeah, I didn't know that. we have a goalie that plays for Man City, like for <laughs> yeah. the for the casual fan, I think that's going to be shocking. And hopefully we'll draw more of the casual fans to become more dedicated to the team and the sport yeah. in general.
0: I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the 2010 World Cup, I was always a fan of the game and I followed loosely, but the World Cup is really where it captured my love and Mm. it's continued for, you know, 12 years now that we're making a podcast and have an entire network (laughs) of stuff dedicated to it. But I really feel like those performances can go a long way in building long-term energized fans. And this is a once in a, for now, this is a once in every four-year event that we have to capture that energy and capture that excitement. And that's why we need to do well in this tournament. I think if we get out of the group, I will call that a success. Mm -hmm. I almost look at that as a run-up to 2026. Like, For me, if we qualify, great. (laughs) That's much better than the last time. And then let's start to build progress towards 2026 when the U.S. is actually hosting it our best players, our Champions League winning players will be in the prime of their careers with a great team around them, and we will host the World Cup. I mean, I can't think of a better way or a better progression to get to that point where we are contending for the 2026 World Cup than exactly like you, so, you both said of the term, like build some fire, understand what it's like to lose in a game like that where one or two things could have gone differently all of that will build motivation towards being competitors in the 2026 world cup. I think that's kind of long-term where we can point to, to where there really could be a turning of the sport in America.
1: Yeah. I mean, talking about the pressure that's on Christian Pulisic as the best player when the world, when the U S fans find out exactly how good he is and how good his career has been, the pressure is going to go up so, so much. And it's going to happen for a lot of these guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this sort of coming out party that we're all expecting from them. If we can get this huge coming out party, then all of a sudden they're going to become celebrities in the U S and yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes, what the pressure is like on them at that point. And, you know, as we build towards 2026, does that change the way the U S plays? Does it change the makeup of the team? Does it change what we can do as a country? And it's all just really exciting. We're sort of at the ground floor of a very unprecedented chapter of u.s soccer
2: yeah i mean he's already been deemed the, Le- the lebron james of u.s soccer so i mean how much more pressure i thought we were going to make it the whole episode without without <laughs> yeah i know it was but so
0: creepy. you had to mention Wondolowski. you had to mention lebron james you, you know you're in that's time what they pay me, for the
2: next that's podcast that's what they pay me the big bucks for on this podcast guys all right i bring the cringe moments uh, yeah, but yeah what, what you're here for Yeah, exactly. I try try. nothing, but don't take any of my takes seriously. Just realize that it's, it's all just comic relief at this point. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) I agree. I I, like, I don't want to call it like a dress rehearsal for 2026, but it kind of is like, it's, it's enough for that core group of guys to get a taste. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just when they get that small taste and then know when they, they they can come back and be in front of massive crowds that are pro U S that you know, that pressure is really going to be there. Uh, I've talked with some buddies back stateside. Hope- hopefully, by that time, the goal is is to be able to rent an RV with a bunch of with a handful of buddies and just travel to wherever the the US games are. So, yeah, it's it's going to be huge. And I think that twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty two is definitely just just the beginning. You know, it's and in my opinion, this is definitely not a golden generation. That this is you know the beginning of you know the new norm, if you will, of US soccer. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, I think there's a lot of great things that we can expect as fans in 2022 coming up. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled podcasting schedule next week. So before we head off, let's do some last words. Tom, what's the last word from you?
1: This is just going to be a really exciting year. We get a chance to finish out an exciting qualifying cycle. Another U.S.-Mexico is always going is always something to look forward to. And the World Cup is, of course... A once-in-a-lifetime thing i i look forward to it every time it comes around it's just gonna be really exciting i'm also excited for the best worldwide tournament that's held every couple of years and that is concaf nations league which is truly the most spectacular of all tournaments <laughs> i cannot good. wait to see another group stage played out um I look forward to a lot of great us matches and yeah i just can't wait
0: you guys brought your jokes today <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is what happens when we have a midweek pod, you know? Yeah, yeah we've all lost our minds. <laughs> Ryan, what's the last word from you? Uh, just a couple of things, you know, kind of like Tom touched on, just it's, it's 2022. Hopefully we're getting closer and closer to, to COVID in the mirror. Uh, you know, it'd be wonderful to see full, the, the stands full at Cutter, at and, you know, just have normal life back. Um, and then secondly, you know, just appreciate everybody, and all the comments that we've gotten and all the engagement, it's been really nice just to see kind of how many people are are really picking up on this. It's We're just so blessed to have all you guys, and we can't really thank you all enough for doing it. Um, so yeah, if, if there's anything you guys want us to discuss or anything that we can discuss, that we'd, we'd be more than happy to. We really appreciate all you guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll take that baton because some of the comments that are talking about you know, I've just gotten into soccer and you guys are the reason why I'm excited or I'm just getting back and I found the channel or I found the podcast. And this is like, I can't get enough of the US men's national team. Like that's why we started this podcast to build excitement and engagement around this team. And so we just thank you guys so much for continuing to listen to the pod, to continuing to watch the videos. So I will ask for a huge favor. It helps a lot in the podcast rankings if you can give a positive review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have watched these videos, have watched this podcast on YouTube and aren't subscribed to the channel, please consider hitting the subscribe button below. It costs you literally nothing except two seconds of your life that you will never get back. So um, <laughs> thanks, thanks again, everyone. We're, we're looking forward to a lot of amazing things this year and we're looking forward to talking about them with you So until then, we'll be back on the next FIFA America podcast next week. We'll see you then. Servus. Bye, guys.